Welcome to Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Sports fans, golf fans, or just fans, welcome to the Get a Grip podcast with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. For the first time doing the intro, I am Max Homa. Uh, This is going to be a big junior golf heavy podcast. But before we get to that, I have a feel good Friday. I'm getting to a flight really early. Shane, big news today. You got a new gig with the Golf Channel. I would like for you first to explain what that means, what you're going to be doing. Uh, We're all very excited for you. So I feel like here is a good time to tell everybody what we're going to be seeing on TV. Yeah. uh, First, um, can I grade the intro? No. A plus. I I, I felt like it was an A plus. Thought you did a great job with it. Uh, yeah, a really exciting, uh, really exciting news to announce something I've been um, working on. I know I've talked to you about this uh, over the course of the last couple of months. But yeah, I'm joining Golf Channel. I'm really excited about it. I'll be co-hosting a new show they have uh, debuting on January 4th called Golf Today. Uh, so much like today's show on, on NBC, uh, Golf Today is going to be uh, their midday show, a couple of hours. I'm going to be doing it with Damon Hack, who you know is a guy I respect in the business. But he's a friend of mine, somebody I've won a golf tournament with at Bannon Dunes a few years back. So, I mean, I'm just thrilled. I'm going to get a chance, you know, eventually to get to do some live golf with Golf Channel and to uh, dip my toes in some of the other properties as well. But my main focus is going to be on this new show, Golf Today. And I already had some meetings, already had some Zoom calls. Uh, You know all the dumb ideas I bring up on this podcast? I've heard of them. I've thrown a few their way already. You know when you bring up a dumb idea on a Zoom call? Just nobody says anything yeah yeah it's not as good as when i do it to you because you're forced to laugh right you have to at least react to what my stupid especially ideas. you start to think like did did the screen freeze like did you <laughs> did that, you hear me do i say it again there? is everybody good oh you just hated the idea well you should have it's a horrible yeah, idea, it's it's a bad idea for a reason yeah uh, well so i wanted to be the first person to congratulate you i'm sure you got a lot of congratulations but probably none on a podcast yet i feel like i could get that out of the way um it's in connecticut so you're going to be moving uh obviously that's a big deal considering you have a wife and a kid so obviously obviously my first question with all that involved has to be have you contacted tp and figured out how they are going to deliver to the east coast we just talked about tp before we started the (laughs) podcast have not um have not talked to him but uh, i am going to work on like dry ice shipment i know there's some you know northeastern restaurants that'll send out their signature dishes what what do you what do you think a tp taco would look like like four days through the mail. Um, I'm thinking maybe not. Probably not ideal. too dissimilar. <laughs> I love it, but I mean, I don't think the the visual of TP is their their main go. I will say this is one of my this is my good idea for the week. If you want, I can go there, Facetime you while I eat it, and you could feel. You know, so I think that's a good idea. It, you know, the, one of the interesting things. So I lived in Connecticut before, right? I mean, I lived in Connecticut back in 2014, and. Still, one of my favorite Mexican food restaurants was really? down the street from us in Connecticut. I mean, you do, it's weird. The world has evolved, and everybody knows how to make different types of uh, dishes. Well, it's like the there. old uh, Jim Gaffigan, uh, the comedian, has a has has a bit, and he talks about how he was once a uh, a waiter at a Mexican food place, and he realized that all Mexican food's the same while he's doing it because he would, you know, go up to a table and they'd be like, "Ooh, burrito! What's a burrito? Oh, you know, it's meat, cheese, tortilla, <laughs> beans. Oh, okay, what's enchilada?" Meat, cheese, tortilla, beans, you know, so it's all the same. So I guess finally somebody has figured it out. But Shane, uh, first real question. I got a couple funny ones in here, but first question, a real question. I wanted to know what about this new job caught your attention and made it the most appealing option considering you have done some other, you know, enormous, enormous golf stuff, uh, most recently Fox. So what about this was the the appealing uh, to the ear, to the eye uh, that you want to be involved with? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, 
you know, NBC and Golf Channel, I mean, if you're going to work in golf in, in, in a TV capacity, I mean, that's where you want to be. I mean, they just have, they have so many properties. They've got so many professionals, you know, behind the scenes, in front of the camera. Uh, they, they love golf. You know, they're, they're a place that respects the game and, and wants to present it the best way possible. I mean, you talk about the events they have, you know, the championships they have, the stuff you're going to be playing in and, uh, and how many majors they have. It's just, it's expansive. And, and so I was excited about that opportunity. And then obviously, I mean, you know, just getting to be on TV every day, talking about relevant golf information. And then, you know, another thing, and I, I talked to Damon Hack about this, this is a new show, which means we get to put, you know, our fingerprints on it in, in some way. I mean, there's going to be stuff that is obviously going to be brought over from, you know, other entities around golf channel, but you know, to, to throw out a psycho scorecard segment every day where I can just flash up a psycho scorecard, you know, from that day's uh, play. I mean, you know, these little things that we can implement and we can make fun and we can make new and we can see what works, you know, stuff's going to work and stuff's not. But I think the creative process in, in that world with a group of people that are excited, you know, golfers, I mean, Matt Haggerty, you know, who's going to be my media boss. I mean, Matt is a golf nut. I mean, he loves golf. So, you know, when you have people that are passionate about whatever the topic is, that's who you want to be around. So that's, uh, you know, that's what I'm thrilled about. I figured, you know, my golf game, I play a lot of golf in Arizona. I figured that if I could move somewhere where I can only play limited golf, then then maybe the rounds, I, I'll be way more like locked in and focused on the rounds. Won't be so much loosey-goosey golf, you know, if you only get to play six, seven months a year. So that was appealing as well. Put the clubs away for a few months. Um, you, I mean, like much like your off season, I'm going to, I'm going to get a golf off season as well, a little bit longer than yours. So, you know, I, I, I was, when they asked me about this from day one, I, I mean, it was a yes, you know, I mean, that's, the honest truth. I mean, they could have said, Hey, do you want this job before you tell you about it? I mean, I, I mean, I would have said yes, just cause I've always respected what they do and, uh, and the professionals around, uh, around the building. So I'm pumped to get out there and, you know, I'm pumped to, to try this, you know, to, to be in a, to be in a studio, you know, five days a week talking about, uh, golf and whatever else comes up. And it's not, it's not strictly a morning show, right? So you're going to be able to, uh, Sleep be in. flexible. And, well, yeah, so that too, you're, but you can be flexible. Yeah, you guys yeah, are yeah. going to be covering whatever happens that day or, or whatever comes up. Yeah. What I, what I think is really cool about what golf channel is doing is we kind of flip the calendar and, um, you know, just looking at how much golf they have, you know, when you think about LPGA corn Ferry, PGA tour, European tour and beyond, right. That's a lot of golf for 24 hours a day. And Golf Channel has almost all of it, if not all of it. So, you know, really leaning on live golf and showing live golf and reacting to live golf and talking about the professionals and and diving into the week and having a conversation. You know, you have a week where you, you have five weeks where you finish top five all five weeks. I want to dive a little deeper into why you're playing well these five weeks than maybe a five weeks where you didn't play great. And 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 hopefully explain to people why the things are clicking because. It's such a, I mean, as you know, it's so minute. I mean, on this podcast, you know, you spent weeks and weeks and weeks feeling like you were almost there. And then you have a week where it clicks. It's like, what clicked? Like, what was good that week for Max Homa or Ricky Fowler or Lexi Thompson that hasn't been working? And 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 I think we can expand on that and we can expand on the event and the golf course. Another thing I, I want to dive into, I feel like there's a lot of golf chatter that we all know about, right? Like a mud ball. And I have a mud ball question for you I'm going to follow up with, but Mud balls. Okay. We all know what a mud ball is, but like, how do you look at a mud ball? You being a professional golfer versus us just saying mud ball. Like what, what goes through the mind of the person having to play this shot? I mean, those are the things that I think we'll have the time to expand on. Can I ask you my real quick mud ball question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote this down. 
because obviously we both were, were really deep into the U.S. Women's Open. Unfortunately, we're not going to give it a ton of time today because we have so many junior golf questions. But there's a lot of, a lot of a decent amount of mud balls in Houston. My question for you is this. If you played 18 holes of golf on, give me like a middle of the road PGA Tour golf course in terms of difficulty. So like not the hardest, not the easiest. What's like a middle of the road one? Um, Mayakoba was probably a decent example. So let's say Mayakoba. So you play 18 holes, you have 14 mud balls, so not the par threes. What do you think you'd shoot? This is a great question because while we were playing in Mexico, Joe asked somebody, I can't remember who, if they would rather uh, take out three clubs or have to play the ball down all day. Because to be fair, that was an excessive amount. Right, right. I mean, sometimes their ball like was covered in mud. Um, man, it would be tough. You, if you had 14 mud balls, you could still probably birdie one or two of the par fives because you could lay up. Uh, I miss enough fairways where I might get away with it in the in the rough. I mean, I'm shooting over par. I think okay. is the point. It would be you would have to have a short game day or a guessing game day from like the heavens because to answer the first part of the 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 part you brought up, when you have mud on the ball, there is some science to it. If the mud's on the right side of the ball, the ball hooks left opposite. If it's on the left side, or I guess you could have said slice if you're a left-handed. Um, but it is still a guess, but when the ball, mud's like on the front side of the ball where you're going to hit it or the back side or the top, I don't think that there's a whole lot of, uh, then it's just a pure guess. So okay. I'm, I'm that, assuming that was you're going to struggle a lot. That was my mud ball question for you. We got to it already. I'm going <laughs> to delete it from my notes. Keep going. Sorry. No, sorry, you're sorry good. Sorry to get in your way. Uh, I was curious about this though. Uh, do you think since you've had some time off and you've been able to watch more golf, do you think that's helped you prep for their new show or give you new ideas? You've had, you know, actually quite a bit of, of time that you haven't normally to watch high level golf. Uh, sit on your couch and actually be a fan of the game again. Um, I feel like maybe uh, you can answer this, but if if that has kind of opened your eyes to certain new topics or where the game's going that you'd want to kind of use. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is probably the most golf I've watched in a season since I was, you know, blogging and and had to just kind of be on the couch all day, every day anyway. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've and I've watched a lot of like non PGA tour golf, which is nice as well. You know, really try to focus on the LPGA tour, watch a lot of European tour. Uh, if you have a kid, when, when you have a kid, you basically, you're, you should name your child European tour. Like <laughs> if you live in the United States, I mean, it's all you do. You wake up in the morning, the kid's up at three or four in the morning, you're feeding him a bottle and you're watching the European tour. I mean, even Henry being a year and change, like he gets up early or he's fussing or he's not having a great night. And it's like, come out on the couch and you turn on the European tour. So it's so absolutely. And, I feel like I'm, I still need to brush up on, you know, just I, one of the things that I really try not to do on television, which I know sounds kind of silly, but I try not to say anything unless I'm hundred percent sure it's factual. So I don't want to say Max home is a great iron player. If I'm not hundred percent sure that the stats back up my point. So I, I do, and I will be doing, you know, the, the appropriate research, you know, day to day, but also just kind of going into it to kind of brush up on some of the behind the scenes facts and, and stats and details and making sure I'm, I'm abreast to everything I need to be on some of the top players uh, across the board. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been awesome to watch as much golf and get a feel for the players. The other thing that's hard, dude. And I mean, I know you're seeing this with your peers, but it's harder now, I think to cover professional golf because we didn't used to have this min this much of a new crop every, every year, you know, you'd have the 20 players that were the names and then you might have one new player every year. You know, now it's, I mean, we had two basically newbies when majors this year, right? So, I mean, you you have to really be on the Corn Ferry and paying attention to that and also on collegiate golf and paying attention to that. 
these junior events. I mean, you me getting a chance to cover the the junior am and the USAM and the girls junior, you know, and the US women's amateur. I mean, I've had a chance to follow a lot of these players that are now making waves uh, on the pro side. So that was extremely helpful uh, of the last you know five or six years of covering that stuff. Do you think live golf? I know you you've done that and you've talked highly of that. Do you think that's still like the main? Um, Goal, I guess, is probably the wrong word, but do you think that's still what you want to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I right now, you know, my, my excitement and what I'm going to be doing is a studio show for the most part, especially, you know, for the first year uh, and, and beyond. I mean, my focus is going to be on golf today. Uh, so, I mean, if I get an opportunity to do live golf, absolutely. But, you know, the difference in doing a studio, at least, you know, before I get going, I'll tell you what well, you can ask me this question six months from now. But, you know, the difference in doing a studio show is you have much like this podcast. I mean, we have time to, to talk about a segment. We have time to talk about a, a subject. We can dive a little deeper into things. You know, with live golf, you might have eight to 10 seconds to make a point or to tell a story, but then you're moving on, right? You're moving on to the next player and the next moment. So your research needs to be succinct and fast and you need to know it and you need to be sharp on it, but things move quickly. And with, with this show, it will allow us to, you know, in during the off season or during down weeks, you know, if we want to do a week where we really focus on caddies and talk about caddies and have caddies as guests and, and call it caddy week, right? Because these are people in golf that maybe don't get enough credit. We can do that on this show. And that's not something I'd get to do with live golf. So that's something I'm, I'm excited about and, and something that's a little bit different. I mean, I started in a studio show, you know, you go back to back nine network. I mean, that was the first TV gig I had was, was getting a chance to do a studio show. And so this is going to be obviously that on, on, on some massive golf steroids. Um, this is the portion of the interview that oh, here we go. I, we will, going? Have, I will have more okay. light Do, questions. Will you, but I want you, you got to make sure you ask it in a real serious voice. Though. Okay. And scratch in, what I just said. This okay, is a perfect. real question. Gotcha. Shane. Max. The golf ball will go shorter in the colder temperatures in Connecticut. Are you okay with that? Can it? So no. 494 might out? be a thing of the past. You're going to be all right with living where it's cold? I think so. Um, I'm going to need you. When you ever need a new track man, can you send me your old one so that I can get my numbers dialed in for Connecticut? You're, yeah, but press pr don't press normalize so that mix up the numbers so you could like make it look like you're hitting it way further. Perfect. What what would you say your club difference is leaving Arizona to a to a non Denver area? Is it a club different? It's close. Yeah, I remember when I went to college. Um, San Francisco has very heavy air. It's yeah, cold, yeah. and I, I had played most of my golf in you know more of the heat in Southern California. And I remember I called my coach, and I was like, "Dude, I like having a power outage. Like I'm freaking out. I don't know if I'm sick or what." And he's like, "Why?" I'm like, "I'm hitting my pitching wedge. Like at home, I used to hit it, you know, under 3,540 yards. I was hitting at 120 tops, and he was freaking out. I thought there might be something wrong with me. And then we finally came to the realization that the ball goes a lot shorter other places. You know, I've also played with a kid who played in from Idaho when we were in junior golf who hit six iron on one hole where I hit three iron and I asked him how far are you your six iron and he's like 220 like all the time and then I was like dude like we're it's we're in San Diego right right now. right, <laughs> like, right. You're from Idaho yeah so, that ain't like, gonna work a different elevation I ain't gonna play um if a hole in one occurs in the forest of Connecticut and no one is around to see it does it count so I get the does a hole in one count alone question a decent amount I mean unfortunately I've I've become I guess I'm I'm saddled with this hole in one guy person thing with Shipnuck, but you know what if you gotta if you're gonna lie about a hole in one man that's you gotta live with that yourself so i say yes it counts it, there is a zero percent chance that i would ever lie about making an ace so if i'm playing alone and i make an ace we are counting that absolutely 
par three course, counting it. I don't care. Who takes a picture of you by the flag? Uh, I'm really good at selfies, bro. <laughs> you need to invest in a selfie stick if you're going to be playing more. Could you imagine if my if I if I played at a club and had a caddy and he was pulling stuff out of my bag and there's a selfie <laughs> stick in there and he went, "What's a selfie stick for?" It's like. Well, I've been playing golf for 37 years and never made a hole in one, but I'm prepped in case you it happens. Be ready. If I if I make one and I'm alone, I have something you have in my to bag. Be ready. For it. Well, like you know question. what? That preparation is gonna. I think it's gonna bode well for your new job, Shane. We're really, really proud of you. I'm really excited for you. We're gonna miss you in Arizona. I'm glad we have this podcast, so we'll be forced to talk to each other on a weekly well, basis. And, and I and I I was asked this on social media a couple times today, just uh, to let people know. Get a grip. We'll continue. I'm not gonna go anywhere. My obligations are with Golf Channel and with the show and everything we do. But uh, Max and I tend to find, you know, 30 minutes or an hour or, you know, two and a half hours to do this podcast at some point. So we will continue to get a grip uh, into 2021 and beyond. So uh, so this will not be going anywhere. And thank you to uh, to the to the to the bosses at Golf Channel for allowing that. Um, I think this is a really cool podcast. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I'm excited for it to continue. Uh, I have a last question really quick. Yeah. Who was the first person to call you today? Because I think that's pretty cool. Um. No big. This is a no big deal. Uh, I, I it was I, I it was Mike Tarico reached no out. No big deal. Mike Tarico reached no out, which was deal. which was very very cool. And um, you know, I mean, I obviously, I, you have moments like this, I'm sure, where you probably don't even realize it sometimes. But you're on the range, like with a bag of range balls at a tournament, and you walk by Phil or Tiger, and I'm sure there's occasionally have a moment where you're like, wow, this is. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. sweet, yeah. you know. And I mean, those are those moments for me, right? I mean, Mike Tarico and Joe Buck and Dan Hicks and Nance. I mean, these are you know the the heroes on on the top of the pedestal. Al Michaels, you know. I mean, th- these people that are just unbelievable at their job and have been for decades and decades and decades. And they text you. I mean, that that makes you feel like you're doing something right, I guess. So, uh, thanks for the question. I thought you did a great job. Thanks. Great I, thought, yeah, I, mean, I thought you did a great you're job. You're such a media other guy. side of the mic. Um, before we get to junior questions. I have two things I want to bring up from previous episodes. And then we got to do our master's hat giveaway, which I have no idea who you picked, and I'm excited to hear. Um, remember a couple episodes ago when we talked about the, the max capacity being a good podcast name, bar name, things like that? Uh, Zach uh, Bitzer informed us that there's a maximum capacity sports bar in Massachusetts. So next time, maybe when you come visit. Oh, now we have something to do. Now when you come visit, that'll be our new TP, maybe. I'm we'll t- play golf. You'll make a hole-in-one. You'll buy round of drinks for the entire maximum capacity bar, <laughs> uh, and which then, sounds expensive if it's always well, full. That's exactly. That's a good point. Um, and then I know you, this I know you're going to be excited about. So I got a message from the inventor of the hot slot golf <laughs> bag approach. This young man, my hero, possibly, his name's Drew Sloyer. Sloyer? Sorry, buddy. We'll figure it out. He said, "This is how it started. This is how the hot." Now, if, for people that don't remember, if you forgot this, this guy it's a put, probably the best thing. Maybe the, that and steak walks are the two things that come out of this podcast. That's all we know. Um, this is the guy that puts the hot club that he's playing in the slot with his other clubs and puts the cold club away from it. He said, um, "I used to keep a super organized bag until one round in high school. First hole, I cashed it from 150 yards with an iron iron." Now, side note. High school are hitting a nine iron one fifty, dude. Dude might be Jack too. Pretty you good. never know. A lot of speed. Maybe, but or maybe he's living in Idaho. He might be. He might be an Idaho guy. He Drew, might actually be know. short. <laughs> so he said, I accidentally threw it in with my woods slot. Second hole, I nuked a high draw, <laughs> right down the middle. The right. lack of confidence is so high. You can't make a nine iron and then hit a good drive. Se- second hole, back. I nuke a high draw right down the middle. 
when I'd been hitting a weak fade with my driver. That's how I looked down and said, hold up, my nine iron just heated up my driver. And I haven't looked back since. I have a million questions, but I'm only gonna have I'm only gonna say one. If you've been playing a weak cut, how bad is your aim that a high draw also went in the fairway? <laughs> you like intentionally double crossed yourself. Unbelievable. Um, we did a giveaway on uh, on social media for a master's hat. Uh, masters wrapped up like two months ago. You're wearing a master's hat right now. Uh, this was a swing roast of our producer Tim. We got hundreds. Do, do we have like 500 comments I think on it was the 425? I read all of them. So, so, and you are the swing roast guy. So this was on you. And I, I mean, we have a, a third place, second place and a winner, which will win the hat. But for second and third, we're going to send you a, a little get a grip, uh, grab bag as well. So I have an honorable mention. Um, I feel very bad. I can't, I have two honorable mentions. I feel bad. I cannot give this award because it was up there with my favorites, but he is a friend of the podcast and, or not only a friend of the podcast, but an actual friend of mine. Uh, CVF baby, I can't nepotism, man. I can't be can't, a part of it. can't do it. But he That's had a great right. one. He said, even though the video has no sound, I imagine his golf swing isn't as bad as his laugh, <laughs> which you can't even hear. You can only see. So I loved, I love that. My other uh, honorable mention, just because it was very topical to the podcast, uh, uh, Nelson73 uh, wrote, get a grip. No, I think get a new hobby. It's really, really good. <laughs> I like that one. So my third place was... Like some people have a face for radio. He has a swing for golf podcast producing. It's really good. Who is that? <laughs> that is that? from uh, oh Penn State Ithaca, PSU Ithaca. I just figured that out right then. And nice. There. That was really good. Uh, second place. Really like this one from Scott Harm. Didn't think the swing could be bad enough to make the video quality be the best part of the video. And yet, <laughs> loved how he wrote it. I love so, the content. So great. But number one, Claire Bear 06. Let's this go, Claire. It. Congrats, Claire. Tim swinging a golf club is my dumb idea flight. Nice. <laughs> Unbelievable. That was so good. So congratulations. That was very fun. Intertwined they, within the podcast. Everybody did a great job. I laughed, uh, you know, reading through a lot of those uh Comments takes a lot of time, uh, but I was laughing for most of the time. So I appreciate everybody uh, chiming in and, and giving your two cents uh, on what Tim should do to fix his golf so thing or good. even his laugh. The quality one's really the good quality. too, man. Those I mean, were good filmed picks. It. It's very easy. I think the common thing to say is you film it on a potato, which is accurate. It's funny. It's a little overplayed, so I try to take out some of those. We had one guy do a, a long poem, which was great. I didn't think it was a great roast, but it was very, very clever. So I didn't have your name, but uh, that was that was awesome. And, and you mentioned, were you just, just, I know we don't have the shout out maybe for the name, but you mentioned the guy that just did the episode one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody wrote, uh, just in quotes, episode 41. So I was intrigued. I was doing research and I went back and I was like, well, which, what was episode 41? And I look at it and it just said, sorry, producer Tim, so good. <laughs> which I thought was great. I mean, that, Very I mean, clever. That's really good. So, uh, this, the main, the main point of this podcast is to answer junior golfer questions for Max and myself. And we got a ton of them. Appreciate it. Let me just clarify. It was if parents of junior golfers or junior golfers themselves. Correct. We get a lot of these. I think a lot of people in golf get a lot of, at least we do, or I do for the pro-ams. It's always, hey, I have a son, I have a daughter. Uh, you know, what should my next step be? So we get a lot of this. Um, I think everybody in golf in some form or fashion has played some junior golf or at least been curious about how Tiger Woods came up and how he got to college or even how, you know, a, a lower level name, you know, how what the process was, how you get better, uh, how you keep your attention span on this for so long because, you know, 
people nowadays are still playing. You know, you could be 56 years old and still playing some golf. So I think that's why we did this. It was a great idea by you, Shane, because this is a good way to bust it all out and cover a lot of topics that I think are the most important. We're talking about grow the game here in the game of golf, and junior golf is the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So I asked a couple of my friends in golf. Just to, I, I sent a couple of texts to some people and said, if you had any advice for a junior golfer, what would it be? Uh, Brad Faxon, shockingly, um, jokingly, of course, he sent an amazing answer. He said, if you're young and starting to play golf, keep playing other sports. It'll benefit your game and your mind down the road as well as your co... What does it say? Oh, coordination. Coordination? Coordination. Oh, how does it have a dash? Just blame it on... Come on, facts. Spell check. Or- coordination. It says coordination on my thing. Um, down the road as well as your coordination and eye hand. Also, most of the best learned by imitation. Find your favorite player and watch them. What do they do? What do they like about them? And then, of course, access to a golf course is huge. Can you play holes rather than just beat balls? Practicing on a course is much better than just hitting a lot of balls. Play games with yourself, pretending you're playing against the best players in the world. DJ, JT, Rory, Homa, etc. And Julie Inkster said, I would say work the short game as much as possible. Also, if you enjoy playing with different people, play with the guys as much as possible. Push yourself. And I thought that was important. Julie always talked about that when she was coming up. She'd play on the, the men's high school team, play against you know some older people. I was personally, when I was a kid and started to show a little bit of, of signs of, of having some game, I would play with the older guys at my, my dad's club and, and play in their money games you know, just to get that competition. And obviously, you're playing against you know, a 40 year old or a 45 year old. I mean, that's intimidating for somebody that's 15 or 16. Yeah, that's good. I did the same thing. Um, I I got a quote from Mark Blackburn, who's a, you know, coach of the year this past year. Uh, He told me to uh, tell the the junior golfers to find a municipal golf course or somewhere that's easy with a range, Uh, hit balls with any technique you want, uh, then play as many holes as you can to learn how to play. If it's young kids start close to the green, learning to chip and putt, we start our young kids from 25 yards when they can shoot 36 from there. For nine holes, they move back to 50, then to 75, et cetera. So they learn to score with short game mastery. All too often, people start playing the game on, on a course that are too long and hard, which detracts them from playing uh, long-term golf. So I thought that was pretty good advice as well. Awesome, awesome. So um, we have some questions, and I'm going to start. Uh, we're going to kick this off with Aiden. Aiden, eight years old, asked, when my dad takes me to the driving range, he keeps telling me to spread my feet apart. Why does he keep telling me that? Why is it so important to have your feet apart? And how far apart is okay? Aiden asks. Thanks you and good luck, Max. <laughs> Thanks. That's a good question. Um, shoulder width is typically uh, the general. If you're going to hit a, just to say a normal golf shot, uh, that's typically the best uh, distance apart. But everybody's different. You know, you look at somebody like Kevin Chapel. Kevin Chapel's an all-world ball striker. He has a narrow stance. I have a pretty narrow stance when I have a shorter club in my hand. Uh, so it is, a lot of this is comfort. There's no right answer. I, I guess we might get this again. So I'll just point out, there is no right answer to golf. You look at someone like Matthew Wolf. I'm sure a lot of people told him he didn't need to do his his pre-shot thing, his little bump. But uh, it, all, it all is what works. But the reason that he's saying that is, to create speed and leverage, you need a base. So you you want to be, it's like if you were uh, eight, and I know you're only eight, but if you play another sport or even you play games, when you jump, I'm sure you jump your your highest when you're on two feet, uh, if you're standing so you're on two feet and you have a nice wider base. So it's just to create leverage, just to have balance. When you look at someone like Rory McIlroy swing a golf club, his balance is impeccable. Uh, if he had a very narrow stance, he wouldn't be able to create that speed. And if he did create that speed, he would probably fall over. So that's more the the reasoning behind it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. I had a, an interesting question. I mean, and, and, and got some great ones. We've got them kind of all over the place. Got a lot of, you know, uh, collegiate golfers headed into uh, 
maybe a, a college opportunity to have questions for you as well that we'll get to. Uh, this one, I, I found this to be a very interesting question, something I, I, I never thought of as a kid. Uh, my youngster, Danny, is nine years old and wants to know what type of golf ball she should be playing. She's, he said, Titleist, obviously, check the hat, but which one? Struggling to find the right fix between spin and also distance for her. And also when she practices, should she spend more time on the greens or more time on the range? I want you to answer the greens range because I actually asked uh, a friend of ours at Titleist the golf ball question. So for Danny, uh, spend more time on the greens or more time on the range? Yeah, I mean, it just depends. <laughs> when you're young, it just is what you have more fun with. I, I'm a true believer in that. At some point, you're going to click into the part where, hey, I want to do this for a living. Hey, I want to get into college. I want to play on my high school team. And then you start to analyze what you need to get better at. But honestly, for now, like grip it and rip it. Have fun if that's what you like. I personally really enjoy chipping. So I spend a lot of time around the greens. Uh, I enjoy watching a golf ball spin or not spin. I like doing that. So it's just to keep it interesting and light. Um, think about it. If you do end up playing this game uh, and you make it on the PJ Tour and you're a world beater professional golfer, you could be playing this game you know, till you're 50 or 60 years old. So you want to make sure that it's fun for as long as possible. Um, so that's my advice. But, you know, there, there's also a school of thought nowadays to go to the range and just try to hit it as hard as you can because that's where the game's going. So learn speed first and then go back and, and then learn how to control it. But um, again, right now, if when you're younger, I think just go with what's fun. If you can split it up and, and hit some balls and, and chip and putt, that'd be great. If you have limited time, pick your favorite part and, and, you know, you look at people on the PJ Tour, I would say everyone's really good at pretty much everything, but I, most people do have a thing. So find your thing. Make make yours. If you love putting, be the best putter you've ever seen. If you love hitting a driver, be the best driver you've ever seen, uh, and so on. So that that would be my advice. What's your, what was the golf well, plan? So and and, and, all, and all I'll say is, I mean, first of all, you're nine, so enjoy golf and do whatever you want. I mean, I know you want to get better, and, and there's ways to get better, but make sure you're out there enjoying yourself as well. I would say if, if you do want to improve as a nine-year-old or 10-year-old, find the thing you think you're the worst at and practice that. Sure. You know, I mean, if you're, a, if you're not a good chipper, spend more time chipping because, you know, I mean, if you're a great putter, you're going to be a great putter. If you hit the ball really, really great, spend time on that, but that's going to be a part of who you are. But if you can't chip the ball well, improve that. And then all of a sudden that part's going to be a, an asset. Find a way to fall in love with every part of the game. I like I think, that. You know, um, Jeremy Stone, who, who I reached out to, who works the title list and does an unbelievable job. Um, he said, short answer, start with the Pro V1. It's the benchmark in their category, of course. And from there, we can fine-tune it. If Danny needs a higher flight, more spin, we can go to the Pro V1X. If Danny needs lower flight, less spin, we could do the AVX. And also, Titleist has this unbelievable link. It's Titleist.com slash fitting slash golf ball fitting. We'll send the link out. I know that's a, a lot to type out off of a podcast. But it's a free link. There's no obligation other than to join the virtual Zoom call and ask a bunch of questions, and then they give out golf ball recommendations immediately. So that's a great asset to have, especially in these times where it's not always easy and convenient to go face-to-face -face with people. So I will send that link out as well uh, for Danny to check out golf balls. But great question. These are the, this, It's a different question. I didn't, you know, again, I, I never think thought about, about that one, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Uh, I'm going to get a, an older question for you, Max, specifically, because we got a lot of questions like this. This is from Jake Betancourt, and he said, coming from someone who just signed – uh, their letter of intent to play division one golf. What is one thing that was hard for you to adjust to going from junior golf to collegiate golf? Well, congrats. First of all, that's a, a huge accomplishment. Um, the thing I learned the fastest in once I got there for my freshman year was the balance of time is, is difficult. Um, obviously you've been going to school uh, and playing golf, but all of a sudden the golf does become a job. Um, you are as much as, you know, student athletes, you know, get a rap for, oh, you know, they got into college because 
they're good at a sport. Um, I understand that from people who've gotten there just straight off, straight up off academics, but you are going to be pulled in a lot of different directions. Your teachers aren't going to care that you have a golf tournament or, or a qualifying round and your coach isn't going to really care that much that you have school. You know, they're going to obviously you need to do well in school to stay eligible and you, you, they want you to do well in school for a million reasons, but you're going to feel like you get pulled in a lot of directions. So you have to learn quickly how to uh, manage your time. I think that's unique to everybody, but just to be aware of that um, and be okay with a little bit of a speed bump here and there. You know, I got off my, my freshman year, I got off to a slow start. I remember um, I got to play the first couple of events. I got kind of sick. School was kind of beating me up, but I just, you know, took my time. I tried to try to be patient with myself, patient with the game of golf, patient with school, uh, make sure that my priorities were in the right space. And I think what you end up learning as we, you know, we got a question earlier about where to practice. That's when it really becomes important to be like, all right, you know, I have an hour today. That's all I got to practice. Um, how do I make that hour the most efficient hour possible? I think that's a key I still use now when I, I'm an adult. If I have a lot of things going on, but I want to go to the range, okay, you have been 30 minutes to an hour. I can still make this a worthwhile practice. You don't need to scrub it for the day just because you don't have enough time. So getting focused, I thought that was a, a big learning curve, but it's something that I think teaches you a couple of things. It teaches you how to how to grow up as, as an adult, uh, first and foremost. And then second, it teaches you... Uh, how to control, at least in the golf world, like your priorities and how to maximize um, your game, uh, you know, even amongst some adversity as far as, you know, your your time constraints go. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, for collegiate athletes, not just golf, but, you know, going into that world at such a young age, I mean, we're teenagers when you go to college, you're you're thrust into a situation for the most part, you know, with no, no parents or, or family around, which you'd had all your life. And you have academics, which are different and they're on you and they're your responsibility. Plus to your point, now you all of a sudden, you've also got to be really focused on your game. I'm sure it can be, I'm sure it could be extremely overwhelming for an 18, 19 year old, right? Yeah. Doing a, finishing a golf tournament, um, and then flying home and doing homework on the plane, even though you're tired, you know, you just played practice around 36 holes and 18 typically, and you got to do homework on a plane or maybe you have to do it on the way out, or maybe you're taking a test at a tournament and somehow. I took a test at regionals, which is the most uh, pressure filled tournament of the year. And this is not your typical, uh, you know, warm up or, or routine to get ready for the biggest event going. Right. And you have to just learn how to be OK with that. Uh, it really will set you up for professional golf if that's what you decide to do. And I, I truly believe as someone who doesn't have real experience in this, but I do think it, it sets you up for uh, your future uh, with whatever job you end up choosing i always thought to, uh that if i ended up not playing golf at some point and i had to go to a job interview i have zero job experience but i thought that one of the first things i'd say in this interview is you know i played golf in college and i played on the pga tour um i clearly you know have learned how to manage time and work really hard so if i could just you know maybe someone put me in the right direction and show me where to go i'll get there because i do think that if you if you can make it four years in, in golf in college uh, while obviously also graduating. I think that you can, you can do a lot when you set your mind to it. Cause it's a lot, um, it's a lot to handle, but uh, there's a reason they selected you. It's because you're, you're a great golfer. You don't maybe need to be full out hundred percent all the time to be able to succeed. But that, that's the, that's kind of the fun of it. That's what I end up looking back on college and remembering the most minus the relationships. It was just, man, I really felt like I grew up, fast in like the first three months I grew up fast 
Uh, a couple questions um, from two different uh, listeners that asked similar questions and probably more for me than you, but obviously I always like to hear from you, Max. Brian says, my kids are super young, 16 months and six months, not even close to actually playing golf. What ways are you getting your son started in golf at this age? And then Jesse says, I have a super junior. He's three years old, Jameis. He has showed signs of becoming the next DJ. Seriously, though. Uh, first piece of advice, Jesse, uh, curb the expectation. Let's, <laughs> let's not throw all this on Jameis yet, but he said, what can and shouldn't be done at such an early age? Thanks. Love the pod. Uh, my two points on this, my, my son's 16 months old as well. And uh, we go out to the golf course once a week or so. Make the golf course a fun place. And it doesn't have to be about golf. I mean, Henry's got little plastic clubs. I always throw one in the diaper bag and take it out there. He can bang it around on the golf cart. He can swing it if he wants. He doesn't have to. I mean, I want him to feel like it's a fun place to go. You know, when you really break down what a golf course is, Max, to a one or two year old or three year old, right? It's a huge parkland with these like enormous sand pits that you can play in, right? I mean, it looks like a playground for the most part, uh, without maybe the swings in the middle of fairways. So I, uh, I just let Henry run around, let him do whatever he wants. Uh, you know, I, that gives me a chance to hit a couple shots here and there, but I want him to look at a golf course as a fun place. I also wanted to mention, uh, my good friend, Joel Klatt, had said this to me a few years ago, and, and I've always thought of it because I just thought it was such a good idea. So he's got three sons, Klatt's obsessed with golf, and he told me that what he would do with his, with his sons when he goes to the golf course is they'd play a hole, but then the next hole's like a fun hole. So maybe they go up to the lake, everybody drops the ball, and then tries to hit it in the water or throw it in the water, or they go play in the sand trap or something. So every other hole is kind of the fun hole, and it's less about golf. And I always felt like that was great advice. If I was three or four or five, that sounds like something I'd want to go do at a golf course. Yeah, totally. Um, one of the the things that bothers me the most that I'll hear uh, on occasion, uh, I might've brought it up on this podcast before, but Peter Tomasulo and I talk about it even still, uh, is we'll hear, you know, either pe peers of ours that didn't make it in golf or, or maybe parents talking to their kids about it, but saying, Hey, you know, if, if I would have just put in the time like Peter did, or like Max did, I would have been there too. And, and it infuriates me because the putting in the time part is in a, is a massive part of this. So to be willing to spend all day at the golf course getting better, if that's what your goal is, uh, you need to love what you do. So building the love first is the most important. And I'll say that till I'm blue in the face. So just saying, oh, if you just spend more time on it, it'll, it'll go well. I, I've seen so many kids get to college and be burnt out because they push themselves so hard, uh, maybe trying to make their parents proud. Um, and then they get to college and they're the best golfer, but then they, they, now they're on their own. They have some freedom and they don't actually love the game of golf. They, I think they love their parents. Um, so they kind of get, they kind of go away from the game. So finding a way to make it fun, like you said, just make it light. If you want to hit some, you can, if you don't, you don't, you got to think about it, not only making the PJ tour, that's obviously a really small percentage, but it's also a small percentage to somehow be able to play on a, on a college golf team. Um, the odds of that are very, very small. And I want you to believe that you can, I want you to believe that your kids can, like I, I'm talking about the delusion all the time, but you also have to realize that pushing someone to do that is not the way it, it, a lot of it comes from that person, that kid deciding at some point on his own, this is what I want to do because I really like what I do. And, and that's, I think a big part of the growth, even as a kid, it's why I'm appreciative that I grew up, uh, you know, with a men's club at a very kind of easy, fun golf course that was light because that to me doesn't have to be for everybody. That to me was fun. That, that made me want to go out with my dad's buddies 
you know, late in the day after I hit some golf balls to go size up against them. But it was just because I enjoyed doing it. And that was on my own. My dad, my mom did not tell me to love golf. I just loved it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like as adults, you know, like where you and I are, you know, just kind of a couple 30 year old guys just hanging out together, you know, just pals. But, you know, as an adult, when you're when there's something flawed in your life, you don't change it until you want to change it, right? I mean, people can tell you to change or they can say you need to watch this or you've got a problem or whatever, but it comes down to you wanting to change it. And it's the same thing. It's like, you want your kid to love the game internally. Like he needs to have, or she needs to have a passion for golf first and foremost, and you can't push them to that. They've got to find that themselves. And, and that's, to you, I think that's, a, that's great advice. It's so important to love it. Uh, I like this one. Joe Vaughn is six. He sleeps, eats, and breathes golf. His question is, <laughs> How do you aim and hit a golf ball straight every time? Also, can I have a golf ball and a golf hat from Tiger Woods? Uh, I'll get to work on that. Um, no promises on the second part. Uh, the cool part about that question is you don't, Jovan. You don't hit it straight every time. I don't hit it straight every time. I, I've never seen anyone hit it straight every time. Um, the fun of golf, the beauty of the game of golf is overcoming the misses. So uh, it's called a game of misses for a reason. The player who wins each event, sure, hit, probably hit the most good shots, but they also hit the best bad shots. And they also recovered from the bad shots. Start to learn how to keep your attitude in a good space because uh, my dad used to say something to me. He said, low expectations, high standards. So we're not going to expect a ton of ourselves every day on the golf course, but we know that we can succeed at the highest level. So it's, it's when you hit a bad shot, it's just looked at as, okay, well, now I get to go show off my bunker game. Or now I get to go hit a cool shot over here. Or, oh, I'm behind this tree and you think I'm going to make a six? Well, I'm going to show you how I'm going to make less than a six. So that's the part that I think is, is the main thing to focus on when you play, not just when you're growing up, but when you, when you become you know, a college golfer or a professional golfer is you're not going to be great every day um you're not even going to be good some days but you're going to figure out a way to beat people regardless and i think that's that's the you know that's golf in a nutshell yeah i mean you're definitely gonna hit it straight you know one thing one thing i took away back in my caddy days i was caddying for my friend irene cho and she'd hit it off with christy kerr at one point and they were playing a lot of practice rounds together and i mean irene as almost everybody on the lpj tour if not everybody on the lpj tour I mean, she hits it in the center, 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 center of the face every single time. You know, and that's during a practice round or when we're just casually playing. And then when tournaments happen, you know, you get a little tighter. Things mean more. Maybe you hit it a little bit more offline than, than you're used to doing. So you're in more uncomfortable spots. And something that really helped Irene's game playing with Christy Kerr in those practice rounds was Christy would drop four or five balls on every hole in the worst place you could drop a golf ball. And then she would have to figure out a way to hit the shot. And I don't think Irene was doing that before, and that obviously helped because occasionally you'd be in those spots, and now you knew how to hit those shots, or now you knew what to do. So the pros don't hit it straight all the time, and then they've got to figure out ways to do that. So as opposed to worrying about hitting it straight every time, maybe just you know throw a couple balls down in a bad spot and learn how to hit a cut around a tree or hit a low hook or something like that. You're, you're, trust me, you're going to have to hit those shots a lot in tournament golf. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Um, this, I like this, uh, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is on the heels of what Tiger said about Charlie. Uh, John Sessions said, my daughter turns four tomorrow. I want her to get her a junior set uh, for the holidays. And he asked, what set makes up? My The reason I'm bringing this up, he said, do you think I should require her to play Blades from the start to intimidate the other kids? 
Uh, I actually love that idea. I'm not sure it's functional, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to show up with some, you just know, fresh, blades. yeah, just absolutely like a three iron with a with a blade head. Just makes it look like, um, you know, no one could ever ever beat her. But at the same time, there's probably a reason the other kids don't have those. So I like the idea, uh, but maybe we could find an intimidation factor uh, through a different avenue. Uh, Mark asked a good question here. What's the best grip since, you know, it's our podcast name. What's the best grip to start out for a five-year-old 10 finger, you know, overlap, interlock, whatever. I mean, do you, do you have, do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I think it's just, it's unique to everybody. My, I grew up when I was a little, little kid. I don't remember this, but uh, we had like a hockey stick and I'd swing it like a hockey stick, split grip. Shout out to Joel Damon. Um, you know, just whacking it around. And my dad just said he slowly every so often would get my hands a little closer together till they touched. Um, I was taught in the very beginning, I had the 10 finger grip, which was, it's fine. Um, but at, at some point, maybe when they start to get lessons or really start to learn golf, maybe just explain to them why uh, overlap or interlock um, is more functional. There's no better though, because Scott Piercy is one of the best ball strikers in the world and he has a 10 finger grip. So right. uh, there's, again, there's no right. But if you explain to them at some point when they start to understand uh, why you would like to swing uh, with your hands connected, which really is as simple as you want them connected. You don't want the more the more split your hands are. So if you're 10 finger, even if, if you want to go extreme and you put your right hand way off your left hand, you can feel how much your right hand can take over. Or if you're lefty, your left hand can take over. And the game of golf, um, as far as ball striking goes, is trying to keep the face from flipping over for the most part. So that's the under. So if they need to understand that, that that's kind of the angle. Um, you want your hands connected as much as possible. Uh, and, um, but I just think it's on their own timeline. Uh, I know that Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods swing with the, um, interlock. interlock grip. And a lot of people rep that I overlap. Um, I interlock. Yeah. Most people interlock. I never really I feel like, don't, don't you think most tour player, player players most overlap? Probably, I don't, I thought it would be interlock. I honestly, this might be a, a, a a good answer to the question. I don't know what anybody does because I think good, once, that actually once is your fingers yep. are on it, um, I think that it doesn't really whatever matter. Works. So whatever works. Yep. So if you find that, I mean, shoot, there's guys who play cross-handed. So um, I, I think that's, that honestly might be the best way to answer it is I just, there is no right, but if they feel something that's comfortable and it works, let it, let it rip. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think it doesn't, if you're double overlap. Yeah. I mean, you're getting, a, if you're, if you're not, if you're not catching on to the, to, the gist of this of this podcast and the advice from Max and myself, it's there's a lot of ways to do this. So don't They're be fast afraid. and loose. Yeah, don't be don't be afraid to try out uh, some different stuff. Uh, I got this question a lot, and Dave, I just got to say, I'm not sure Max and I know the answer to this question, but we'll try to help. What's the best way to help a junior stay in control of his emotions on the golf course? How do they balance being competitive and wanting to hit a good shot? but also have the ability to watch a bad shot and move on to the next. We might be the two worst people to answer this question, but that might make us the best people to answer That's right. the question. This is what I learned very fast, uh, and this is what helped me a lot. I struggled a lot with my attitude. Uh, well, I still do. I Same. still do. So, um, But it was definitely more detrimental to me um, and to my group when I was younger, and my dad would point out that it wasn't, you know, it's not as fun if you're going to be, uh, you know, baby and a brat about it. Uh, especially when you're growing up, you're playing with, you know, like I said, my dad's friends, like they don't want to see a kid pouting around, but I was highly competitive. So there's also some good to it. I, I understand there's some good to it. it. It makes you have a little bit more drive, whatever. The thing that finally resonated with me was 
I can't remember if somebody told it to me or I was sitting around thinking about it, but I've always thought of my, about myself as a respectful, you know, dude. And when you are being a baby or a brat or whatever on the golf course, you are, you are acting like your day is more important than everyone else's day. And the moment that hit me, I still have a bad attitude at times, but I don't feel like it ever affects the people I play with. I feel like it is on my own time. I might mutter some not so nice things to myself. And that's something I want to get better at, but it has tapered off some of the attitude, you know, throwing golf clubs isn't cool. It's not cute. It's not a good thing to do. It'll happen. Sometimes people will be screwing around and do it and you can laugh it off. But if it becomes a trend, it's just, you're not going to be, it's, it's easy to frame to a young kid that that's just not what you want to be known for. So I think that that's, especially coming from their parent who they respect, like that's a good thing to hear because you want to have the fire but you don't need to have fire doesn't mean breaking something. The The coolest thing to me is watching somebody have a tough day or a tough stretch of holes and stay so laser focused on what's happening next. It's the one shot at a time cliche. But when you get really focused on what's happening next, um, it locks you into, hey, there's absolutely no gain to me being mad about what just happened. You can think that because you have fire that and you got mad that, you know, that means that you you're really trying hard. But if you were really trying hard, you would you would be calm because the next shot you want to have, you know, you're you want to be back at your base level. And and I think that's important. So just trying to get that through their head. But again, like the, for someone like me, that took and has taken still to this day. It takes remember reminding all the time. Tiger has thrown clubs. I mean, Rory has thrown clubs. I mean, it, you know, this isn't something that we don't do as adults. And I mean, those guys are on camera. I mean, you go to a local country club or, or a local golf course. And you're going to see that every single day from people. I loved what you said though. It's you're, you're taking you're you're placing your day ahead of somebody else's. And so I would say that, you know, I, I think sometimes we associate being frustrated or mad or upset with something wrong with us. It's okay to be frustrated now. I mean, you don't want to throw a club or break a club or hit your bag. And I will also say if you're trying to get a collegiate scholarship or you're trying to play college golf, they look at that stuff. They look at the legs. They look at the legs in your golf bag. Your you know, you, you know how your up. legs are straight. If your legs are bent, college coaches look at that stuff. I mean, they know that you broke your club. My dad told me when I first started playing, my dad said, if you break a club, you're paying for it. I'm not paying for it. Yeah. If you break a golf club that I bought you, it is on you to pay for it. I, I would just say that as, as a junior, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're somebody that gets frustrated, try to find a way to to let yourself have it for three or four seconds and then move past it because you got to go hit the next shot. And if you're frustrated and you hit that next shot, it's going to be worse than if you're if you're cool. Here's off another it. one. Uh, I did this once. I I sat no, my I I started talking to a, a therapist and we were talking about attitude and positivity and she had me one time write down all the things that I've said to myself. Oh my gosh. And when I read them, they made me laugh so hard and they made me so uncomfortable. I'm like, how are you saying these things to yourself? How are you saying these things out loud? And how do you, so, but they actually started to make me laugh. So now sometimes when I say, uh, say them or think them, I like makes me chuckle. Cause I'm like, this is so dumb that you could say this. My dad used to say, if, if somebody else talked to you, like you talk to you, I'd kill them. Right. And it's exactly. like, yeah, so it's almost like getting, again, I know this is hard for junior golf and I know there's going to be some kids that are great at this and some that are bad at it. Um, me being the latter, but it just takes like constant reminding and it doesn't need to be yelling. It doesn't need to be this or that. My dad one time put me through what we called boot camp for a week and we'd play our part three course. And if I showed any emotion, happy or sad for the, the day, like I don't, nothing happened, but like that was the goal. And 
again, I don't think that's the way to play golf, but it made me at least understand how to control every emotion a little bit. Like I couldn't get too up and I couldn't get down. I had to just be at zero the whole week. And it was nice to see that I could do it. And then I could also see how I'm lying to myself if I say, oh, but when I get mad, I play better. That's just, I don't, I don't find that true. I don't think anybody would really admit that that's true. There are times to release it and get it out, but there are ways to do it without being a distraction to your group and without coming off as, you know, a bit of a brat. The top 10 players in the world, let's say, um, you know, Dustin, Rory, Rom, Xander, that group. When you play with them, when you play practice rounds with them, when you observe them, do you feel like they're really good at handling their emotions? I mean, do, do you feel like those players for the most part are good at that? Yeah, I think they know how everyone's unique. So I think that's also, again, to the golf swing and to the grip and all this, like everyone's unique. So there's going to be different ways to do it. Dustin Johnson's obviously kind of, a one, how you want to be. Yeah. He doesn't count. And Xander is very similar. Xander, Xander seems to be very within his emotions, but for me to say, Oh, they control them better than other people. I, I think that's tough to say because John Rom, one of the, my biggest critiques of people who critique him is that he needs to get his emotions under check. Well, he's been number one in the world, every level of golf. So it obviously works for him. He clearly is the guy who's able to get frustrated and then put it away, but he puts it away way faster i think than people would would imagine it, it is gone now i think it's easy for people on the couch to look at mc and get mad and think that's going to affect you know it's got to affect him because it affects me when i right. do that but there's a difference I, tiger had his thing that he used to say where his dad would give him 10 seconds to do whatever he wanted and then after that 10 it is absolutely gone now i'm not 100 percent sure i believe in that because again if you're throwing stuff if you're breaking stuff if you're you're kind of being a distraction i don't think that you're you know a great person to be around and and in the beginning of golf and in general that's not okay um, we're not all going to be you know professional golfers we're not all going to be tiger woods so it's a little more acceptable i think in that uh, this story i mean this example when you end up becoming tiger um but the idea is everyone's a bit different but they all do control it uh well you you will professional golfers at the highest level now spend so much time and so much money on trying to save themselves a half a stroke a day a half a stroke of nine, whatever it might be. They're doing everything they can, whether it's your, whether it's your, your instructor or your caddy or your, um, or your, you know, nutritionist or whoever you're doing everything you can to, to, to control that, to make sure that you're shooting the lowest score possible to think that though they are also not focusing on making sure that their attitude doesn't add a stroke somewhere down the road. There, there's no way that that's not a main focal point of what they're doing every day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a good point. It's it's it, and being mentally strong is just as important as. And it's also cool. I'm gonna tell you that as a kid, you don't put a lot of stock into it. it the coolest damn thing. I the the times I'm the most proud of myself. The times that I feel like Joe is the most proud of me. My wife is the most proud of me. But the times that I remember the most are the mentally tough. Again, sometimes I'll still be frustrated, but it's the most mentally tough. I bounced back. I did this after this. Uh, a ball went into a divot. I looked around and just said, okay, this. Uh, how do I succeed from this spot? Instead of looking at it as, oh, the world is against me. That ball just slipped out again. I can't make a putt. It's just those, the times I love me the most is when I, I handle those ad adverse times the best. And I think that's a cool thing. I don't know how you get that exactly through a kid's head. I, I don't have a kid. I, I'm definitely you know, not really in that headspace yet, but just the rem reminding and kind of pointing out like, that's the cool stuff. That's the stuff that you're going to appreciate and respect about yourself so much more when you do it well, because then that becomes, Davis of the third said it, I think, uh, when people talk about having a goal for the day of golf, so many people, I would say 
even some tour pros. I've done it a lot of weeks too that I'm trying to get better at. I've done it most weeks actually. Is my goal for today is to make sure I wasn't short sighted. I hit in the middle of the greens and my speed is good. Something very physical. Last week, I, it could be a small sample size or whatever. Two weeks ago in Mexico, my goal was uh, to be commit to shots uh, and to be very into um, the process and the 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 macro part of golf. I don't think that that is a complete coincidence that that was the best I've played in in five or six months. The other time I did it was in Minnesota. I was very focused in that, and I played really well there. So there is a part of um, uh, of people where your goals for each day on the golf course, when you're playing golf, not working on your game, when you're playing in a tournament, playing a round of golf, is to focus, uh, have a goal for something mental. Because I, it, once you know that that's what your goal is, you'll attack it way more um, aggressively. And I think that's important for people like me who have struggled with their attitude where it's like, all right, my, my goal today is to have a good attitude. And then wherever I hit the ball, it doesn't matter. Cause my, that's not my goal. My goal was to have the good attitude. Yeah. And, 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 and for junior golfers listening to this, um, you know, we're, we're always working on stuff with our golf game. You know, you want to, maybe you're not the longest guy out there. You know, maybe you're not the best putter out there. Maybe you are a little loose with your irons, but maybe you're a pretty good player, you know, despite maybe the, the small things you want to change. The easiest thing you can change is your mental approach, especially as a junior golfer. If you can get through your head, which is tough. I mean, I, I didn't do it, Max. I don't think you did it either. But if you can get it through your head at, at 12, at 14, at 16, at 18, that I'm just going to be stronger mentally because golf is hard and it's going to frustrate me 12 times around every round. That will improve you. It's going to improve your scores. It's going to improve your position. It's going to give you a chance to, if you're good enough, maybe play in junior tournaments, maybe play collegiate golf. Like that's something you can really improve on. And maybe you're not going to hit the ball 350 yards, but you can sharpen the brain and not let stuff frustrate you. I always go back to, you know, Zinger used to talk about, you You said, you know, hitting a divot or you get a bad bounce. And I remember you told me I was, I was complaining about a bad bounce. I got at Phoenix the other day and you were like, that wasn't that bad of a bounce. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a fair point. But if you don't complain on that stuff and you lean on the, oh, it's in a divot, there's two types of players. There's the person that goes, oh my God, I'm in a divot, seriously in the fairway. And then there's the player that goes, I'm going to show off. I'm going to show off. I'm going to hit a shot here out of this divot and show off to the players. You're like, I'm not going to let this bad break affect me. You know, those are the people that go on to shoot 67 when something doesn't go their way. And when you start playing in tournaments, if you do, the people you play against, if you're that guy, if you're that girl, if you're that person that that is never phased, it is incredibly frustrating and intimidating for the person playing against you because it just feels like, how am I ever going to beat someone who never beats themselves? Right, exactly. And that's the, that, again, I know that's a hard thing to explain to maybe a five or six-year-old, but as I get a little older, that is the mark of not only a great golfer, but someone who's going to be highly successful. There's a reason that business and golf are so tied together. It's because you get to see if you're a CEO and you're maybe meeting a new, a different CEO, a company you might want to merge with, or maybe a, 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 an employee that's, that's below you that uh, beneath you that maybe you're thinking about promoting. Um, you go play golf with them. You're going to see who they are as an actual person. Absolutely. It brings it out of you. It's the most frustrating game on the planet. So, you know, learning how to control those emotions, like Shane said, be mentally tough is important in a lot of aspects. Uh, Greg Boyd asks, my daughter's 10 years old. She's interested in starting to play golf. She's left-handed, so it's been difficult to find clubs. What are your thoughts on having her start out right-handed? She's pretty athletic and doesn't seem to care either way. Now, Greg, I'm going to quote the fame Chance the Rapper here uh, with my response. He says, go lefty like Lionel Messi. Uh, I'm going to preach the same thing. There's a... All the lefty equipment you need out there now. I mean, I'm 37. Even when I was a young kid, I could find lefty clubs. Now, not nearly as many now, but 
if she's athletic and swings lefty, I'd say go left, go allow her to play left-handed. Um, it's not, it's not as hard to find um, nowadays. And what's cool is you're seeing some professional golfers on the LPGA and Symmetra and LET that are lefties now. I mean, that was one thing for a long time was there wasn't a lot of lefty professional golfers on the women's side, and now you're starting to see that uh, that become a little bit more popular. Go up to good. Canada. I heard Just move to Canada. That's all you got. It's like 40% lefty golfers <laughs> in Canada. Um, my uh, is this question here: Alfie in England, ten year old. Alfie England, 10 year old. I feel like that is it's like how it should be. Uh, loves golf, but plays other sports as well. He loves soccer, martial arts. He really wants to improve, but only has two to three hours a week to spend on his golf game. What would be the best use of his time from Alfie and his dad? Honestly, um, besides chipping and putting, which, which I don't think takes a ton of time, but when you're on the range, him balls, hit hooks, hit draws, uh, hit cuts, hit slices, hit some high, hit some low. If you have 50 balls, try your best. There's a nine-shot hole or nine shot game that Johnny Miller made famous and Tiger has um, continued on with and, and talks about quite often. But there's nine shots in golf. There's a, a low cut, a mid-flight cut, a high cut, low straight, mid-flight straight, high straight, low draw, mid-draw, high draw. If you have 50 balls, just do that for, you know, I know nine times nine doesn't go into 50 exactly. You might mess one up and do it again, but do that. You're going to get so good at hitting golf shots. And that is the most important part of golf. And it actually cleans up your technique in the same way. You start to really feel where your hands are supposed to be at impact. You learn setup. You learn how to make a ball. Look at Bubba Watson. He, he does things differently than you would teach them, but he makes a ball curve exactly how, you know, it is intended to curve. Um, again, there's no right way to set up. So what, if it fits, how you see a ball curving, do it. Cause then you start connecting your body uh, to your mind, to your hands and everything starts to flow so much better. And again, you're going to learn how to swing a golf club uh, better than you think. You look back on people like Ben Hogan and Sam Snead who have two of the prettiest golf swings anyone's ever seen. And they didn't have camera. They didn't have video. They just hit golf shots and watch the ball curve the right way. So it teaches you a lot. So to Alfie 10 in England, you know, it, it's, it's, you don't need a lot of time. You just need to make sure that your time there is worthwhile, and that's how you make it worthwhile. Don't be worrying so much right now about the positions of your golf swing. Let those come. Um, try and hit cool golf shots. You know, try and hit fun golf shots. Try and try and see uh, how you can make a golf ball stay. You know, maybe below a fence line, and then we're gonna hit one way over the fence line. Now we're gonna cut one and draw one, and again, you're gonna learn how to play the game of golf. Yeah, I mean. I so I, I mentioned Zinger earlier, you know, I was talking to Zinger before he went as PGA. I, I was talking to him one day, you know, in between work stuff. And he said that at his range at the time, at the end of the range, there was this barn. And he said that he'd spent a couple of weeks and he was just hitting shots, the left side of the barn, and they'd fall to the right side of the barn, left side of the barn, fall to the right side of the barn. And he could see it in his brain. Right. And he said, he just took that, you know, to the PGA. And that was what he saw on the fairway. He'd see that barn and he'd hit that shot. You know, I was an awful practicer when I tried to play junior golf, when I tried to play mini tour golf. I had no idea what to do with my time. And I, for all the good Tiger Woods has done for golf, I think one thing he's actually done that hasn't been great is him diving into his practice sessions and his obsession with golf, you know, spending eight, 10 hours, you know, and talking about this openly. I hit balls for 10 hours, then I'd run seven miles. I feel like that's probably an overplayed idea of what pro golf looks like. I mean, I get a feeling like you guys do more on the golf course practice or play golf. 
those types of things. As much as you do spend seven hours hitting range balls, I mean, do you know many guys that are out there for five, six hours, four or five days a week? Like it seems like we'd heard from Tiger for so many times in so many years. You have your days. I also think with the Tiger thing, like right now is a funny time, but like it's hard to make a tea time anywhere. That's a good point. Tiger can just jump out whenever he wants, you know? So I think that it's a little, uh, it's a little unique to him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know guys that will sit on the range. I mean, I, I'll have times where I'll sit on the range all day. Um, but then I'll also have times where I'm like, well, today's a play day. Um, I don't, I, I don't, obviously there's a reason Tiger was the best. Um, you know, he put in all that time and, and had the talent to match it. But um, again, everyone's new, unique. Uh, look at someone like a Joel Damon, who's top 50, 60 in the world. He doesn't feel the need. We've talked about it. He, he wonders if he practices, if he practiced like I practice, if he would be much better or much worse. And there, there's, you know, everyone has their their way about it. So finding your your way some days, again, and I brought it up a few times, but if I don't have a ton of time or maybe I don't have a lot of energy that day and I don't really want to be out there, which I'm sure Tiger had those days too. Uh, it was like, all right, well, how am I going to make this a short but effective practice? Um, it's not always going to be nine hours. You're going to have things going on in your life at some point um, or some day. Uh, even so it's just yeah it's just to find what fits and, and you have to be honest with yourself I think that's the hardest part about this is you have to be honest and say no like this is important like this is what I need to focus on because I think a lot of people get caught up in the no I need to go focus on my driver my driver my driver and if you really broke it down it's like yeah but you just you know made took it took you four shots to get in the hole from 20 yards like that's probably where you could go you should go first so it's just being you know self-aware honest with yourself uh, but yeah, the tiger thing, you know, it's amazing that he did that. Um, it's a little bit, uh, or it's not a little bit, it's a lot, uh, kind of nearly impossible for like the average person to, to put on their I, plate. Even I like can't, I can spend nine hours at the golf course, but I don't think I can just go decide I'm just going to hit balls, then go to the course and play nine. Then, you know, like it's just not, I mean, I've been trying to make a tea time at Silverleaf for like a month and I can't get on. So it's just like. You know, it's not, it's not always going to, it's not always going to be linear. It's not going to be A to B so easy, but I have times in the off season or, or dur even during the season where I'm like, I'm going to spend my eight hours at the golf course today, just hitting balls and chipping and putting and, and doing a, uh, you know, having a grinding day. But you know, I, I, for me, if I did that every day, um, it would get to me boring because I want to go play with the guys too. And, and that's a, another form of practice. Can, can I, I was going to ask you that and not a question specific from a, from a junior, but like how important is it to play? How important it is to compete, even if it's for, you know, you know, the cliche, a root beer or a Coke or things like that. I mean, how important is it for players, young players to get out there and feel the pressure? Yeah. It's not just feel the pressure. It's just, it's to see a shot. That's not the range, you know, uh, you could be really good at cutting the golf ball. I'm, I'm good at cutting the golf off the tee, but there's going to be a hole at some point that bends to the left and the wind's going to be off the left and it's not going to fit. And now you have to go figure out how you're going to hit that shot. And then maybe the next day you decide, okay, I'm going to go to the range and, and work on why that didn't fit. And then you're going to slowly kind of, uh, grow into like a full, well-rounded player. But you, you also want to compete because you want to take, I, I would guarantee you that if I took, there's a reason people say they get tournament rusty. If I took eight weeks off of golf uh, or tournament golf, but I spent every waking minute of those days hitting golf balls, my swing would probably be better. Uh, all, all, all the all the technique part of my golf would probably be better. But if I didn't get to play any competitive golf in that point, even if I just didn't even get to play a round of golf in that point, when I got out onto into a tournament, 
now all of a sudden I see fairway and I see rough and I see consequence. I see water. I see bunker. I see out of bounds. And you are, you have not practiced at all on the range feeling that type of um, like kind of insecurity and, and anxiety. So you need to practice that. And then, yeah, playing with your friends, I mean, for a Coke or whatever it may be, we used to, that's all we used to do. And there's a reason you do it is because it preps you for when you are nervous on the first tee. It can't do all of it, but it'll keep you at least in that realm of, of uh, that state of mind of this shot matters and there's consequence and I'm okay with it not being perfect and like freeing yourself of that. Whereas when you hit a ton of balls, my old college coach even said it, uh, Steve Desma, I was really struggling with my putting and I was putting nonstop all day. And he told me one time, he goes, Hey, he's like, why don't you just stop practicing for like a little bit because you're putting so much pressure on your putting in a tournament that it just, maybe it's like suffocating you that you feel like because I put in seven hours of putting this week that I should be making all these putts. And that's not how golf works. It doesn't owe you anything. It's not right. going to give you anything. So sometimes freeing yourself up too is, is important. So to me, playing golf uh, rounds of golf with friends for some sort of stakes is, is key to growth uh, and, and preparing yourself for the terms why I love living uh, around where a lot of pros do, because it also makes me very comfy playing with people. As you mentioned earlier, playing with people who are older than you or better than you and, and seeing what you need to get better at or, you know, beating them and, and, and enjoying that process as well. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, like when I play with you, I mean, you're a PJ tour player and you're way better than me at golf. But when I'm playing with you, I, of course, am, I mean, I can't help it because I'm competitive, but I mean, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at me, I'm looking at our scores, I'm trying to beat you. I mean, even though I'm going to fail, I'm trying to because it's what I can do on the golf course as, as somebody that's playing a sport and trying to be competitive and, and trying fun. to improve. It's, it's, it's what's important about it. This isn't a question, but I did want to ask you were, you, were you a nervous golfer? Did you get nervy when you first started playing junior golf or you know, when you first started playing in tournaments, get competitive, did, did nerves ever affect you? Did you ever have to figure out a way to kind of handle them like first tee or just getting going, thinking about a tournament the night before? Yeah. I, you know, I think everyone gets nervous. I think that's the first thing you have to like, uh, address and notice tiger talks about it. If he didn't get nervous, he wouldn't want to play. Um, I never handled nerves poorly. Um, there are times when you feel uncomfortable on tee shots and that is a branch of nerves that I still, I think everyone still works on, but is there something you would, you would do? Yeah. It's, it's over. It's like almost over-focusing it's, it's visualization. It's seeing, uh, something, you know, if you picture in your head, like a shot tracer that we all see on TV all the time, it's almost like making, if you're having a hard time seeing it, make that color brighter and brighter and thicker and bolder and just oversee yourself hitting that shot before you, before you step into it. But, um, you know, I think the most important thing about understanding nerves, whether it's your it's, you know, your first junior tournament or, or a tournament where a college coach is out at and they're watching you is the understanding that everyone's nervous and you're supposed to be nervous. And that's fun. I, I don't honestly don't think I'd enjoy golf that much after all the years I played it. If I didn't get to play these tournaments where I got jacked up, you know, it, it is the enjoyment of it. And I think once you embrace that, I don't know that that's to me what, again, just like you can look at a lie and a divot two ways. You can look at it. Oh my gosh woe is me, I hit in this div, or you can look at it as watch this, I'm about to show everybody how great I am at golf. You can do the same with nerves. You can look at nerves as, gosh, like I'm so nervous, you know, this this is so uncomfortable. I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah, I don't want to embarrass myself. You can also look at it as, man, like, you know, again, going back to um, my most proud moments of of golf is bouncing back. They also 
a part of that list is the tournament or the, the moments where I've been the most nervous. And then I tr- put some faith in myself and hit, hit the shot. And it's just like that, that's the cool stuff that that's the reason we hit balls on the range is to put ourselves in a position to be nervous. So once you're nervous, why are you now all of a sudden uncomfortable? The entire reason we did this whole process of practicing was so that we could step up to the plate and see, and Hey, what nervous. do you got? Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's gr- me against this ball. No one can do anything. I'm nervous. I can't control it at the moment. I'm going to take a couple deep breaths. I'm going to see what I'm going to try to do. And then if you fail, that's okay. Because then you go to the range and you work on why you failed. That's uh, all good. That's great. I, I got a question. Um, year and a half year old, uh, Henry asks, why has my dad <laughs> started to bring snake out when he walk when he walks me? What's his question? Snake steak. Oh, steak. <laughs> Uh, I was like, geez, Louise, I we may need to call somebody. So, uh, I think, I think, I think it's because your dad, Henry, who I haven't met, sounds like he's a good guy, probably handsome with really nice voice. Um, he just wants to keep hitting it further. This Bryson DeChambeau guy you're going to learn about, he's really set the trend on gaining muscle and, and mass. So uh, you'll learn about that one day. Protein is, is key. Uh, Pierce, 13 years old. Uh, three questions for you, uh, Max. My question, how do you prep for big tournaments? We'll start with that. Part of prepping for big tournaments, which I am still learning, so you know, I haven't played a ton of them. Yet. I guess at every level you have what you consider a big tournament, but majors to not, to me now are the big tournaments. I'm trying to treat them more and more like they're just a normal PGA Tour event, which is still a big event um, for me. But I'm trying to treat them mentally more like that. But in tournaments in general, you know, Augusta for the Masters was one of them. Like. I fortunately have seen the tournament on TV a million times. I kind of knew what I need to work on. So I work on the specific things that I've heard or I know that that course will require. So Augusta, I was trying to hit balls off different types of lies. I was really trying to work the ball a little more because I know that you have to do that a bit more. I really worked on my short game a lot and hitting spinning chips uh, that are or bumps into hills that you know you're going to have to deal with. So being more specific on what those courses will will require but i'll do that too even if it's if if i have a, a a week off and my next tournament will be some course that i've been to a lot and i know that that one really requires a lot of three irons off the tees i did this for mexico i really worked on my three irons and three woods because uh typically that's an important part of that week so it's just being specific I think. so if, if you're if you're a junior golfer you're playing a big tournament you play a practice round try to really find things from that golf course that's maybe different from where you play Pre prep. Yeah. Yeah, Like, like, so, and now that might be difficult. So if if for a junior, let's just say you don't even get to see the course, let's say, you know, even if you've got a practice on, you've never heard of the golf course, you know, nothing about it. Um, tournament stuff. That's very key. Putting from inside of six feet or 10 feet even is really important for tournament golf. That seems to be where things, um, uh, boil down to, uh, and then lag putting. Those are just ways you save strokes. So let's save, save more. We can, there's going to, uh, obviously you can't just go out and guarantee you're going to hit your driver really straight or your irons really straight, but that's a good, easy way to save, save strokes is to feel comfortable if inside 10 feet, do little games. If you want practice your lag putting. Um, and then when you get to the course, you'll already be prepared to like face those challenges. So, um, if you have heard of the course, uh, I kind of, you know, I didn't think that through, if you haven't even seen it, um, you know, it's going to be difficult to know what you're getting into. Um, but yeah, do your normal routine, but maybe just add a couple things that put you in a competitive sense. And you can do that with yourself. This is the kind of hardest thing, but if you want to grow as a tournament player, you, you need to put yourself through a bit of a, you know, almost like your own internal contest. Like, Hey, I need to make 10, six footers in a row before I leave, or I need to make, um, you know, Phil Mickelson talks about it, but a hundred three footers in a circle. And obviously it doesn't need to be that extensive, but having a goal that will make you better in a tournament. And to me, 
a lot of that is on and around the greens is, is having, cause that's where you can see results in a practice sense is you can't really go hit, um, unless you have a trackman or something, but you're 10, 13. So it's tough, but you can't really go as Christmas depth list. As I do, yeah, yeah. Where you're like going to hit one. a bunch of wedges to the correct number and, and, and kind of play a tournament within uh, a range session. So it's just, it's just doing what you, you can to face those kind of get ready for the nerves, I guess is, is, you know, the best way to do it. You have to score in golf, you know, it's it, it it comes down to putting a lot of the time. Yeah. Um. Do you specifically? He asked. Do you normally have a set schedule Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of your tournament weeks? Yeah. I mean, it obviously is in flux a little bit depending upon weather and whatnot. But I I play nowadays without the pro am or even if there is a pro am. Uh, they've been nine holes lately. I'll play. I typically travel Monday. Um. But if I didn't have to and I was already there, I'd just go hit some balls. I honestly Monday's light. Um get a feel for the greens, chip a little bit, get a feel for the grass, hit a few balls just to move around. Tuesday, I'll play nine holes. Um, and then Wednesday, I'll play the other nine holes or the pro-am, whatever it, it may be. Uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, I'll do a little bit more mechanics work with my golf swing and 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 work on the stuff I'll be working on with my coach. Uh, same so when you're putting. like when you're specifically doing that, I mean, are you are you videoing? I mean, are you? Yeah, probably more videos. Okay. Um, so like is Joe videoing you? Or yeah, do you like Joe have a stand? I mean, you're looking at how the swing looks and getting a feel for yeah, what it Yeah, but I'm like. just trying to, like, in, in the perfect world, I'm trying to look at what I am trying to get better at. So it's not gotcha. trying to fix my whole golf swing. It's, hey, I've been working on this. Perfect. Then as Wednesday comes along, um, I'll get, you know, I'll get a little more into the feel. I'll bring, for me, I'll bring my track man. I'll work out a lot more on wedges and numbers and shots. Um, now I've seen the golf course a couple times, so I know what shots are going to be important. Sometimes, you know, I thought the coolest thing Joe did when we won Wells Fargo was we were struggling with uh, the 18th tee shot. Again, I cut the ball better than I draw it. And that hole, you really almost have to draw something. And every day at the end of every practice session, he would say, I want five draw three woods. And lo and behold, on 18 on Sunday, you know, I hit I finally hit a good one. But I felt like a part of that was because we worked on it specifically for that hole. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Uh, last question from uh, Pierce. Uh, do you bring snacks to the course? And if so, what snacks? Uh, I My bring, favorite part of the question. I bring a uh, trail mix. I do bring snacks. M&M's in the trail mix? When I'm feeling good. You okay. Know, I'm feeling okay. a little frisky. Do you know what? So I, I went through like a mid-20s phase where I was like crazy health food. Also no M&M. So, so I, but I mean, like when I was playing too, I would have all this real healthy food in the bag. Trail mix is 400% better with M&M's in it. Oh, God, yeah. It's it is terrible without it. Unbelievable with yeah, it. You I'm with you. Some, you know, you got to let a little. Come you got to let yourself loose. You're already walking six You're 13, miles. buddy. Yeah, yeah, throw some M&M's whatever you want. In Maybe just only M&M's. Just M&M's. Uh, PB&J. I love PB&J, but it really does help when my wife is there. You're probably not married yet, Pierce, but uh, when you get married, maybe you can Give it be a couple lucky years. like me and... Uh, your wife will make you a PB&J after nine holes and she'll bring it out to you. That's pretty good. What's the most pop in from your view? What do you think is the most standard popular snack on the PGA? Tour? I would probably say PB&J beef jerky's up there. Um, yeah. Speaking of steak walks, beef oh, jerky, oh, you're kind of walking and eating steak at the same time. Um, and yeah, nuts, trail mix, something that's clean uh, and easy. Uh, a lot of people do the, they make their own like shake. It's the easy one where you already have water and you dump kind of like a powder in there. People do that. Just kind of put some form of calories in you. It has to be quick and easy and handy. Uh, Uncrustables to me 
Riyadh, but they're the best. God, unbelievable. How do we not have an Uncrustables deal on this podcast? Because I don't think they need to sponsor. They don't have to. Yeah, it's like Apple. Like Apple doesn't have to sponsor. You're going to buy the phone. Um, Michael, uh, he's a current senior in high school. He's going to be an incoming freshman at the University of Bucknell. Golf team in the fall. He was wondering the best way for junior golfers and golfers in general to stay consistent with their golf swing and their swing feels. He said, I feel like I switch back and forth between swing feels. And when I finally find one, it only stays for a few weeks at a time, a.k.a. I want to raise my floor. He said, thanks so much. Legit, the best golf podcast on the Internet. I think that's why I got the question. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Also, congrats. Um, I would say that uh, a very important part is having the, the go-to shot because in some form, uh, going on the range, your go-to shot kind of opens up the feeling of those feels. You know, it reminds your body of the feels, and then you start to start to get it. Um, you're always going to dance between finding it feeling good and feeling not good so having a way to kind of reset recalibrate to have something to go back to i think helps a lot it's something that i wish i did uh more of um where okay it doesn't feel good i'm not going to try to make it feel perfect i'm just going to try to make it feel like it does when i do x and then as you start to hit x more and more often you're going to start to slowly feel more confident you're going to see the ball doing what you're it's supposed to do and then those swing thoughts and everything will start to click naturally a bit more um again also but a practice i mean shoot be excited to go play a great round of golf when it feels bad like turn it into a positive if you can be like man it feels terrible today but i'm going to trust my shot uh i'm going to be more creative uh maybe i'm gonna for me it's like i hit the ball a little lower when i'm when i'm losing it uh understanding ben crenshaw or yeah ben crenshaw had a great quote he said Golf is not about knowing the golf swing the best. It's about knowing your own golf swing the best. So for me, knowing why I hit bad shots technically so that for me, it's because I, you know, whatever, all, all the fl- flaws I have make me hit the ball high into the right to go. The opposite of that would be to hit a ball low into the left. So I try and feel like I'm hitting it low to the left without getting too technical. And that seems to reset it fastest. Uh, first time this name has come up besides you mentioning it. Uh, good question here. Ben Harvey asks, everybody's marveling at Bryson DeChambeau's focus on increasing body size for more power. At what age should junior golfers commit to gym workouts specific to improve their strength, speed, and flexibility? And I, I feel like you're going to be a good person to ask this too because you've mentioned a couple of times you were really, really heavy into the gym in college. Yeah, I, I was into the gym for multiple reasons. I thought, one, I was confident about my body when I worked out, so I felt confident when I got to the golf course. Um but I, I, I also was fortunate in college to have a trainer, you know, our, our team trainer, where I think it's important stretching and everything is that you can do it right now. Get as limber as you can. I know you're, you guys are younger, so, like, it's not as hard, but that's an important uh, part of, of speed, in my opinion. You look at people like Dustin Johnson are incredibly, incredibly flexible. Um, I think you need guidance with the working out and the lifting. I think Definitely. that the part that is talked about a bit, but I think should be always mentioned is that Bryson has a team of people that are helping him do this. Um, he is doing the work and it's commendable, no doubt, but it's a bit dangerous in anything to put on a lot of mass, in, especially in the game of golf, where it's a rotary sport and it's putting a lot of pressure on your lower back. Uh, you need to have somebody pointing you in the right direction. Stretching can never really hurt you in that manner, but be a little careful. You know, like I said, I like to work out. I, I was fortunate. I had somebody help me, but it's, 
it's definitely my biggest apprehension with what he's doing is the younger kids doing it right. and not knowing exactly what they're doing. So I think that's an important part of all this. Yeah, I mean, you know, LeBron James famously spends, and I've heard this on Bill Simmons' podcast bucks. a lot, but spends a million dollars a year on his body. And I mean, that if you take anything away from this podcast for juniors out there, as we continue to obsess over distance and Bryson doing what Bryson did is what Max just said. You know, he has a team. He doesn't have a guy. He doesn't have a girl. He has a team that is helping him get better, stronger, using all the math and the science and diet and everything. I mean, I know he does. He cooks his bacon with a shirt off. But outside of that, I mean, <laughs> all the things he does is is advanced stuff that, that cost a lot of money. So be really, 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 really smart about the gym stuff because you can hurt yourself. And that stuff lingers for life, man. Yeah, it I mean, might not hurt right away, but it'll yeah. hurt. It, Wait till you get, get to the age. I'm yeah. you know what I said, our age. How about yeah, that? that? Feels good. Uh, this is from Nate Carr, friend of ours on social media. He said, my son Jack is 16 next week, um, and he wants to play college golf. We don't get a lot of junior tournament opportunities in Alaska. His question is, how does college recruiting work? I'm a sophomore. Should I be contacting coaches? Thanks again from Jack and Nate. Now, I asked a, a, a head golf coach at a very prestigious university. I'm not going to name names because, you know, the college thing, but I asked him this question and this was the response I got college golf recruiting starts at a very young age for most college coaches. We're constantly looking at results from all the junior golf tours around the country. Um, there are a few major ranking systems, AJGA golf week, junior golf scoreboards that we use to sort through the thousands and thousands of players around the world. It is always a good idea to reach out to the coaches from schools that you're interested in. Keep in mind that college coaches are not allowed to respond to your emails, texts, or phone calls until June 15th after your sophomore year in high school. I did not know that. We really like when players send us emails with some results after they play in a few events. Include your stats, a link to the tournament website scoring. A brief summary of your play is always a nice touch. Golf really is a game of numbers, so I think it's very smart to lead your emails off with scores and data. Grades are a huge part of college recruiting as well, so I think it's also smart to attach some unofficial transcripts or at least explain where you're at with your grades in your first email to college coaches. Another thing we recommend is checking out the team's website before you reach out and see this is, I, by the way, this is a very important part here. So don't, don't miss out on this um, to check the team's website before you reach out and see what the scoring averages are in the current teams. Be realistic with where your game is, where you think it's going and what team you think you'd fit on. There are a ton of college golf teams, not in the division one. And sometimes those are better options for players based on their skill level or experience level. It's important to understand that schools do not have unlimited scholarships and coaches have to be smart with how they distribute the available money. It's okay to be upfront about what you're looking for in terms of scholarships. And if you're fortunate enough to not need a bunch of scholarship money, I would say that early on in the process, good recruiter walk-ons are hard to come by, thus making them very valuable. So thought that's great advice. Anything you want to add? Yeah, on that? To, to, to going on the website point, this is what my mom and I did, but go to the schools that maybe you want to go to, or you've been looking at, see the ones that have a bunch of seniors because those seniors have to leave target those schools. Uh, I know nowadays, especially with Instagram, I mean, send them a link to your Instagram. If you have swing videos on there, if you, if you, or just send them swing videos, putt, putting stroke, chipping stroke, just let them see you. If, you, if they're not going to be able to see you, make them see you. Um, what's the worst that can happen? Um, yeah. Link, uh, even keep them updated. Hey, I just played, um, you know, a uh, uh, goofy junior golf thing around here. I shot, you know, 68, 70, um, you know, here's the link. Or if there's no link, just explain what it was. Say, Hey, I hit 14 degrees this day. I mean, make yourself known that I was lucky. I lived in Southern California. It's a hotbed for, for junior golf. Um, coaches were out, even if they weren't watching me, they were out there. So it's a little easier, but you need to be proactive. Like I said, my mom and I went through all the research of all the schools and, 
and told them, hey, I'm playing in this coming up. Um, you know, just wanted to keep you informed. Yeah. And, and put yourself on the map. Don't they, they have a busy job. You know, they, they don't have a scout recruiter for them. The coaches are the recruiters. So they don't if you're not the top ranked guy, they're not going to seek you out. They don't have to. You need to make them want to go find you and see what you're doing. And then next thing you know, you never know. They might show up at one of your tournaments. Yeah. And I mean, I, going back to our attitude thing as well. I mean, the number one thing you can do to uh, to lose a scholarship or not get an invite or a look from a coach is a bad attitude in a tournament. Uh, bent legs, broken clubs, any of that stuff uh, is going to be a quick no-no unless you're, you know, the fourth ranked junior golfer in the world. I mean, that stuff's going to turn them off really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't use the best golfers as the example. Yeah. Uh, Billy asked for his daughter, Abby, 10-year-old daughter, really begin enjoying the game. We've done individual group lessons. Uh, she plays in junior leagues as well. My question is this, her attention, and, and, and also something I can touch on, her attention and focus goes away entirely after the third hole every time she plays. It's crazy to watch as she's extremely hyper-focused and committed on those three holes. But after the third hole, she wants to chase butterflies, pick dandelions, or build sandcastles in the bunker. Curious if you have any advice to help her along, but in a fun and encouraging way uh, that'll bring her to, an, to use her mind on the golf course for context. Her junior league matches are usually six to nine holes, and we hope she can stay focused for the entire match. First, Billy, I got to say she's 10. You know, I mean, 10-year-old's attention wanes at times i mean that's understandable but how do you have anything in, in terms of staying focused for that six nine hole match and then going away i don't know i think it's tough it's just everyone's different maybe she just wants to be on the range more and then at some point again she'll say hey you know i want to play nine holes and it's like all right let's go play nine holes but golf is so long <laughs> and you know, i took Lacey out for the first time she had never really like hit balls on a golf course before and we went out and after four or five holes she said are we almost done and i'm like we're on the fifth hole like we Tip, like typically would play 13 more of these uh so it's just you know you, you have to grow into it um again also the tough part is not everyone's gonna want to do this that's that so i don't know to me it sounds like she has fun hitting some balls it's a little bit quicker you can go to the putting green and then i i feel like at some point if she does truly want to do it she's gonna say let's go let's go play and then that's your time to be and then and then if after three holes she's a little bit you know, chasing butterflies and, and picking dandelions. And it's like, Hey, you told me you wanted to do this. And then she'll hopefully remember, Hey, Oh yeah, this was my idea. Uh, Lee Scott says, what's more important for a 12, 13 year old distance or accuracy distance right now. I mean, I, I would have told you the, the opposite when I was younger, but um, nowadays it's, it's hit it really, really hard and learn speed early and then tone it back. I still believe the accuracy is important, but I just think that it's, I, I'm learning it right now. It's a lot harder for me to pick up speed than it is for me to learn how to hit it straight. I can get to myself to hit it straight quite easy, but um, being able to match speed with that is is hard. So you want to you want to almost be the the person who hits it the furthest, and then at some point maybe gets a coach or or starts to learn about their own golf swing that then they can find a shot that fits them because their off speed shot will then most likely be most people's normal long shot. Um, and same Lee also asks, uh, what'd you do when you witnessed cheating in junior golf? Um, and, uh, I, I, I was, unfortunately, I was kind of always the guy that, that didn't want to get in the confrontation and would just yeah, kind of me look, either. I'm soft. Yeah. And, and I would kind of look the other way. Uh, I would say that's probably the, the wrong way to go about it. Yeah. I would say if somebody's cheating in your group, or if you think they're cheating, uh, tell a rules official, you know, or yeah, do your best. I mean, yeah. it's hard. It's a hard situation. That's or hard just, to do. I liked it because you just beat them anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to cheat <laughs> yeah. over here? That's fine. I'm just everyone will you. get found out at some point. So it, it it's not if you are someone like us who doesn't really like confrontation. I mean, they're not going to 
I guarantee you that person's not going to get picked in college over you because those coaches have found that out. They exactly. will hear about it. So don't, just because you may have lost your, you know, 11 and under event because of that doesn't mean that's going to have any real bearing on you growing up if you're the type of person who doesn't really want to, you know, get into that situation, which was how I kind of looked at it. Um, la- two more and then we'll go. Um, this is from Kale, uh, 17 years old, senior in Utah. Um, and we've touched a little on this, but this is more of a specific question for you. What specific drills are you doing when you practice to get the most out of your practice? Do you have specific drills you personally do? Yeah, I mean, alignment, throw a stick down Always, as right? much as you can. I mean, I'll do sessions where I don't because I want to practice going through my routine, but that's the other part of the drill. I guess I guess I've done it so long it doesn't feel like a drill, but after that stick is gone, I'm going through my pre-shot routine as much as I can on every shot to try and make it feel like I'm in a tournament. So I practice lining up, you know, and then, and that's after I've taken the stick away. So it's not just that I'm hitting a ball with an alignment stick. I'm actually then going to go through the process of practicing aiming better. Um, And then, yeah, drills, I guess everyone looks at what drills are differently. Again, I I would consider hitting the low draw, high draw, low cut, high cut a drill. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't use the term drills a ton because it sounds so like harsh and like not fun and enjoyable even right. now. So like it's I just that's just part of how you practice. So it's it's having it's breaking up your practice into different uh areas. Whether segments. you want to make one, yeah, segments. If you want to make one flights. mental, yeah, flights. If you want to make one like more of a mental quote unquote drill, then or something creative, then we're gonna hit a shot, we're gonna point at that tree, you're gonna cut it to that tree, you're gonna see if I know like Charles Howell does this one or did or whatever talked about it where uh let's just say there's a flag out there or a tree whatever you want he's gonna hit has to 10 draws where the ball starts right at that target and does curve for a righty to the left but never goes finishes left of the target so that's one type of drill it's very specific but it's again it's trying to make sure that whatever works for you where you go to the next uh, where you go to the tournament or the first tee and you feel like you've hit that shot at some point on the range right it's like the zinger you see it in your face to at, um yeah. two actually two more this one this is just great it's not even a question <laughs> kevin jones it's kind of my, my type of dad he said my eight-year-old's already playing in money games against my friends and i uh, yes. with the par adjusted to his skill level i call this the lee trevino school of golf please support me on this i got 100%. my support 100 percent. i'm in That's eight all, years old that. my first time seeing joe he was running uh across the driving range with just ones falling out of his pocket but that's what you know you you again you grow up quick um you gotta put yourself in that uncomfortable position and i mean the best is you know when when you're growing up and let's just say you're playing a board game with your parents and you lose but then you kind of win because your parents don't want you to lose it's like the best is when you know your dad will look at you and be like yeah, you got to pay that guy five bucks. Yeah, it's like, exactly. no, no, no. But no, it's like, no, you lost, man. Um, Sam Elevens from Canada says, what's your favorite tournament to play in and why? And what is it like playing in the Masters? Obviously, the Canadian Open. Um, <laughs> and my, my favorite tournament is is Riviera, the Genesis. Now, I grew up there. So it's just like where I it's just where I you watched golf. There was introduced you to loved golf. The golf. I was course. probably the first course I ever went to. I mean, it's just for me, the Mecca. The Masters was awesome. It was very similar to that in, in that I had built it up so much in my head that when you get there, it's just, you know, it, it really lives up to the hype. Uh, you just always want to be at Augusta National and play in the Masters. So when you when you go, it's like you feel like a little kid again. It's how I feel every time I play Riviera uh, in a tournament. I feel like a kid again. I feel like I feel like I'm having like this outer body experience where I've been 
outside the ropes on every hole, but then somehow I am the one that I'm watching. It's a weird, fun feeling. It's, it's again, it's why I love the thought of junior golfers getting into the game because, again, not everyone's going to get to do what I've been fortunate enough to do, but when you get the few that do, or at least the ones who enjoy the process of it, you have these little moments where um, I think another undervalued part of, like, being a student athlete or an athlete at some point, professional athlete at some point, that is undervalued is this, it takes a lot of focus from a young age. Um, there's hopefully going to be uh, one or more of these, you know, young people who have sent sent these questions in that turn out to be the next Justin Thomas, um, and that that's awesome because it starts now. Like wherever it is, you, your tomorrow could be your first day towards all this. And for me, that's what I kind of notice and pinch myself with at times and realize, man, like, you know. I don't think I got lucky to be a professional golfer. I think there's been some lucky parts, but I feel like I've taken this very seriously since I was a kid um, while also doing a good job of balancing it with friends and, 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 and fun and um, making sure that, you know, I'm 30 now and I still love playing golf. i like, I, I obsess over all of it and it's, it's a fun balance. So uh, that, that's the cool parts about being able to do what I do. And it's a driving force for any of you kids listening out there to whatever your goal is, hopefully, you know, if it is golf, um, then I can relate to you. But if it's something else, it's just when you meet that goal or you get near it, it's, uh, it is a very exciting feeling because you're, we're always a little bit of a kid, you know, deep in our brain. We can remember those thoughts of man, like, you know, I was on 17 behind Tiger Woods at Riviera and I watched him with this drive. And this year I was the one hitting the drive where it was an important tee shot. And it's like, right. man, what a weird world, you know, this has got to be, it's I living in your world would be very strange <laughs> considering, like you said, the, the, the times when you were obsessed with golf as a, as a fan and now getting a chance to, to play it and have fans, um, is, is pretty wild. I would, I, I would add to this just, just, I know this wasn't a question, but you do it any Shane does it. I, I do it. I would say anybody, your parents do it. Anybody who, who has succeeded at anything does it. Uh, but for kids listening, there is a sick joy you'll get out of working hard and, and then slowly seeing results. It doesn't have to be that afternoon. It doesn't have to be the next day. But I promise you that when you hear people say stick to the process, it means a lot. It's what, when I have a kid, I'm going to tell him or her, um, I'm sure you're going to tell Henry, but that's, if you could take, again, like Shane said, but if you could take anything from this, from me on this podcast, it's to enjoy practicing and it's enjoy working. It's it, whether it's in, to enjoy studying, learning, like it's just enjoy that because it's fun. Like, I don't know in, in a, in a weird way, if I still, um, love golf the way I did when I was a kid, it's become definitely like a job, but I don't think that that's bad because I now more so enjoy getting like one millionth better in a day. Right. Like I I probably enjoy that as much as I used to enjoy watching Tiger Woods play Riviera. Like, and and I'm sure you enjoy that with with everything you do. And 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 Cindy enjoys it being like like everything she does. Lacey enjoys like every part of our lives now feel like we're just trying to be a little bit better of a person or a little bit better of whatever your job is. And for kids, it's hard to understand. I feel like the successful in the golf world ones will grasp that early. And again, like I, I remember the day I decided to make this like my my venture in life. And um, I don't forget that because my goal was only to be better every day. D uh, Derek Rose has a quote where he said, my goal every single day is just to be better than I was the day before. And that does not have to be in golf. That It could be as being a human being. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and just a reminder to parents. 
that have juniors that are playing and competitive. Golf is really hard. And a reminder to juniors yeah, that are playing. Easy. Golf is really hard. Everybody understand that. I would say um, the, the kind of the, the parting shot on the junior golf thing is, you know, I, I don't have a teenager. I don't have a 12-year-old. I mean, I don't have a kid that's out there playing in tournaments. But I would have the, the real comfortable, open, you know, discourse, have the open conversations, allow the kid to talk to you about golf, you know, the good, the bad, the otherwise. And I would say to, to juniors is, you know, be honest with your parents as well. I mean, I know it's not always hard, but you know, if you're not in love with it or if it's just not clicking with you and they're grinding you all the time and, you know, you're starting to resent golf, you know, have that conversation as uncomfortable as it is because it will eventually lead to something good. And then it might even open up a, an avenue to where you've been liking the, the sport. And if you don't just wait till you turn 30 and then you'll like golf. That's what <laughs> That's exactly uh, I got a feel good Friday email too. And also any other junior uh, golf questions, um, send them our way and we'll just respond uh, individually. Occasionally we might pos- toss it up on the podcast. Uh, it's get a grip pod at gmail.com. And we've got a couple more like this. Uh, we're going to roll out over the next couple of months. This is a feel good Friday from Josh Bolt. He sent this email early on the 20th of November. He said, just wanted to pass this along as a feel good Friday. And he wrote on an actual Friday, my wife, Janelle powered through 16 hours of labor and managed to deliver our girl Kaylee before midnight. So she shares a birthday with Max Homa. So looking forward to some steak walks in our near future. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. That is awesome. Happy birthday. Kaylee's a beautiful, cool name. Uh, I hope she's about 10 times cooler and better at golf than I am. But that's really cool to hear. I'm always down to meet new uh, new Scorpios. Uh, Shane, I have a best shot I saw someone hit this week. Okay. We unfortunately, didn't get to talk much about it. But U.S. Women's Open went on this week. It was fun to watch. Uh, Alim Kim birdied her last three holes to win the U.S. Open outright. Which shot are you picking? Uh, I picked six, this tee shot on 16 because it had to be. It was definitely for me watching. It was one of those uh, rare, well, sometimes not rare, commentators saying something that I know as the ball's in the air is wrong. I can't remember who said it, but she hit it and she pimped it in my eyes. I know what like the pimp looks like. And she <laughs> looked away and the, and the commentator goes, oh, I don't know if she likes it. And I knew that she loved it. She kind of did like this, like, like the Nicholas in 16. It was thing. very much like that. She kind of like didn't twirl it, but she slid it down her Be hand. Right, it is. And she kind of like looked to the side and I'm like, oh my God. And she did it again on 17 and again on 18. I'm like, this, she can't miss. And uh, it was fun. That shot, I mean, nobody was hitting it very close, and she stopped one to like three, four feet. So that was that was the best shot I saw someone hit, but you could have picked any of them for the last three holes that day. Um, I have a dumb idea. Um, Me too. I have a, I have a dumb idea. Better. Uh, I was thinking about the other day. Um, I, uh, not to come off too much like Dwight, Dwight Schrute, but I, I, no, use please, my, please. I, use, I use my feet a lot to pick things up. Um, what does he say? The dexterity of, what does he say? A chimp, yeah, de- I think. Dexterity of a chimpanzee. Um, and, uh, and so my dumb idea is, uh, to parents out there, is to have your kids play soccer and do stuff with their feet because when you get older, it's way easier to pick stuff up if you can use your toes <laughs> to pick it up than to have to bend over and pick Such stuff up backwards. all the time. Such an odd reason to play soccer. I, I'm just telling you, I don't know a lot. I, I don't know a single person that plays professional soccer, but I played soccer and I feel like it had to have helped me to be able to pick up dog toys and kid toys Golf tees, you know, yeah. playing barefoot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there you can use your feet for. You could p- picking stuff up all all the time uh, with your feet. Why not? Why not start with soccer? I, my dumb idea. Uh, I was thinking about this last so night. I was ordering food. Uh, I've thought of an idea of like a Tinder slash Postmates for leftovers. So some people don't like leftovers. That's a great so idea. You post a picture of it like you. A lot would. of trust in this. A lot of faith. Uh, that's where the. That's why I said the dumb where it falls idea, apart. not the good idea. But you take a picture of your uh, like an eBay of your leftovers. Someone from Postmates will pick up those leftovers and transfer it. You pay them and then pay the uh, Postmate for the delivery. 
everything it, went. It's, it's, part of, it's part of reuse, reduce, and recycle. It's cheaper, too. Cheaper? Yeah. I, you know, I, mean, I had a, no, don't drug food. <laughs> so I gotta, I'm not going to mention his name. I had a friend of mine in college uh, that was quite the penny pitcher. Okay. He did not like to spend excess money on anything at all, as most college kids do, but he was to the extreme. Worked at a sandwich shop, Max. Worked at a sandwich shop, I think his senior year. He would eat the back end sandwiches that people left on this on their trays. This that's how he would save money. I'm into saving money, but I I I, I kept do that. saying you work at the sandwich shop. It's probably not very expensive. That's where they hold the sandwich. His argument was that they didn't bite. That he part wouldn't the eat the, the part you bite. I imagine some of their saliva, not to be too gross, made it to the back end of it as they opened their mouth and inserted the sandwich. It, I never understood it. That's disgusting. again. I just I'm not I think I'd that. rather not eat. I'm not. I'm not. So are you? So this guy's not going to be like CFO of your business? You don't think? No, man. He he. No, unless he somehow keeps that to himself. But it feels like that's just like a lifestyle choice at this point. Um, what are the chances that you do the heat up pocket on tour at any point in your golf bag? Any chance? Um, we need a cooler name. Wait, let's let's like the hot pocket pocket or something. We'll get a sponsor for it. The hot pocket, the hot pocket. That's not a hot pocket. Oh, um, all right. A real quick question for you, and then we'll go. If hot pocket came to you and your, you know, your array of agents and said, um, <laughs> your your business manager and your agent and, and everybody, your chef, chef. and uh, <laughs> and they said hot pocket wants to sponsor you. They want you to have a hot pocket pocket. All of what we talked about. You have it on your bag. But your encore snacks at all times have to be hot pocket. Are you in or out? It'd be tough because my body doesn't function great with cheese. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so that's right. I, I'd be a I'd be Do a they sloth have a non-cheese out there. Option on perhaps lean pockets. Know. I think are a thing. I don't know if it's just, pretty sure it's still. Man, has cheese. Hey, everybody, I know I already mentioned it. Go listen as much as you can to every Jim Gaffigan hot pocket lean pocket so segment. Good. They are so funny. I have a best thing I heard this week for my hip hop people out there. The new Jack Harlow album. That's what they all say. Is so good. I can't stop listening to it. Um, I know this is not. This Wait, is what's, a, the, what's the? It's, it's Jack Harlow, uh, Louisville rapper. That's what they all say. It's a hip hop album. It's very, very good. You'll, you Shane would love it. Okay, he's the guy who did the song Tyler Hero. Did you hear that one? No, I'm, but I'm. Oh my Download it right now. It to you I, right now. I'm, I'm to the music point where I don't listen to really new music. I didn't either. This I, is the first thing I've gotten that I don't in a know. while. Um, uh, big thanks to everybody that's sending questions. By the way, um, I know this obviously went long, but. It's holiday season. You got nothing else to do with either listen to this or hang out with your family or Zoom with your family or <laughs> watch something on TV with nobody around, uh, as is 2020. Uh, thanks for the questions. I thought you did an unbelievable job to intro the podcast. We'll have to do that again. <laughs> thanks for giving me a reason to ask. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. Uh, uh, shout out to everybody that sent notes um, on social media and, and everything. I, I tried to say thanks or like everything I could, but um, it's, it's a cool opportunity. And if you live in Connecticut and you're a golfer, Maybe we can play some golf in about three and a half months. Uh, everybody stay safe out there. Have a happy holidays. We will be back next week. Congrats again to you, Shane. Really happy for you. And don't forget, even in Connecticut, you need to wash your hands. Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.